0: Uh, join me in your copy of God's Word this morning. I hope you brought Bibles with you. If not, there ought to be one uh, under the seat in front of you uh, uh, or the one next to it. Open your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, again, chapter 28. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, each that tell the story of Jesus' uh, birth, sinless life, death, and resurrection. Uh, we uh, looked at Matthew chapter uh, 26, I believe, last week, uh, and Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem that Sunday, just a few days before his crucifixion. We saw Jesus entering into Jerusalem in this sort of very, very uh, uh, obvious royal procession, but we discovered in the way that he arrived into Jerusalem that day that he was coming as a very different kind of king than the people expected. Today, Uh, or excuse me two days ago on good friday we took time uh, over the course of a couple of chapters of matthew reading and reflecting upon the death of jesus and now today we celebrate his resurrection now, we live in an age where superheroes and saviors abound. I, mean, like, I grew up reading some comic books and liking some comic books. X-Men was kind of my favorite. Also Spider-Man. I watched a lot of Spider-Man cartoons and Batman from time to time. And all of that changed in like the early 2000s when uh, superhero movies like, came onto the big screen. And I remember uh, when Spider-Man, the first Spider-Man, the best Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire. We can argue about that later. When that movie came out, me and a friend of mine, we rushed to the theater on opening day to go uh, and watch that, and I thought it was awesome because it was one of my favorite superheroes now come to life on the big screen, and it was absolutely amazing. Now, of course, uh, Disney and Marvel have, have blown up that whole Marvel Cinematic Universe to, to gargantuan size. There's, there's new comic book movies and comic book hero superhero TV series coming out like every other week. I can't keep up with them all. And this speaks something just the popularity of it the fact that they're all over the place that we're inundated with these pictures says something about us as people. What it says about us as people is that we want big heroes. We want superheroes. We want people who are who are bigger than life and better than we are to crush all of our enemies, to destroy those that would attack civilization. We want superheroes to save us from big problems this desire for superheroes, this desire for saviors displayed in our, our consumption of superhero movies. I'm not saying that they're a bad thing, but what I'm saying is they point to a deeper longing in us, a deeper longing for not just to have superheroes that save the, save the day and save the world, but to have a savior that can save me. Our, our love for Spider-Man and Batman and Superman and all the other man's comes from a deep-seated desire in our hearts whether we recognize it or not for another great man to not just save the day but to save my soul. As we look this Easter Sunday at Matthew chapter 28 verses 1 through 15, we see that Jesus is the savior who rose from the dead just as he promised. But in con- contrast or 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 In in indifference to those superheroes and those saviors that we see all around us, we see in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that Jesus is a different sort of savior. He's a different sort of savior than the ones that fill our, our commercial ingestion. Would you, as you're comfortably able, stand with me as we read God's word, Matthew 28, verses 1 through 15. Matthew, the disciple of Jesus, tax collector... But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then quickly go and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we'll satisfy him and we'll keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. This is God's word. You may be seated. Jesus is a different sort of savior. He's a different kind of hero altogether. And the way that we know that Jesus is a different sort of savior is because, as, as we pick up in the events preceding our text this morning, is because Jesus really died. Jesus is a different sort of savior because he really died. Now, it's interesting. I, I almost said it's interesting that Jesus died, except that everybody dies, and that's not all that interesting. Except that Jesus predicted his death. This is not specifically mentioned here in Matthew chapter 28, but it was predicted by Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 and Matthew chapter 17. uh, Parallel passages, parallel predictions in Mark's gospel in chapter 8 and Luke chapter 9. From early in his ministry, Jesus was recorded predicting his death. He was telling people, I am going to die. Now, that's not a difficult prediction for anyone to make. I could predict with uh, a a good deal of confidence this morning my own death one day. Life has a 100% mortality rate. There's not a person yet who has survived it. So for Jesus to predict that he would die is really not all that big of a deal, I suppose. But the fact that he claims to be, along with just predicting his death, he also claims to be one with the Father. The, to be the one who is inaugurating the kingdom of heaven, to, to do the miracles that he performed, all of these things in, in, in addition to or contrast to his prediction that he would die set him up to be a kind of savior who's more powerful than death. We look at the life that Jesus lived. We look at the things that he, that he did, the stuff that he said, and we look at him and we go, if anybody can beat death, it's this guy. And yet he says, no, I'm going to die even at his crucifixion, the people watching below mocked him. Matthew records in Matthew 27, the people mocking Jesus saying, if you are the son of God, come down from the cross. If you're everything you said that you were, bring yourself down, save yourself. You don't have to die. So here's the thing, a savior, the caliber of the son of God shouldn't die, right? The the people who were mocking Jesus as he hung on the cross, they understood that much. A Savior, the caliber of Jesus, the caliber of the Son of God, shouldn't die. So Jesus, do something about it. If ever there was someone who could outsmart and dodge death, it would be the Son of God. It would be the Messiah. But in this case, it wasn't. In this regard, Jesus seemed to be falling short of what people expected of God's Messiah. And he always knew he would. From the first moment he predicted his death, he always knew he would fall short of some people's expectation of what the Messiah would be. An immortal, all-powerful king who would never succumb to sickness or death. But Jesus really died. He predicted it and the people witnessed it. Now, who needs to really witness that a person, uh, uh, who, who really needs to see a person die in order to know that they are dead? I mean, you can go to a tomb, you can go to a grave, you can inspect the deadness of an individual, can't you? Well, not if that body is absent after a couple of days, we can't. There are some today who, who argue that Jesus. Uh, couldn't have been raised from the dead because he never really died. They would argue what is often called the swoon theory, that Jesus only appeared to die on the cross, that he did not actually die there. Now, never mind the loss of blood from flogging, the severe beating, the spear being thrust into his side, the inspection, the expert inspection by Roman guards who were experts in crucifixion to know when someone was actually dead. Forget all of those things. Jesus was just so close to death on the cross that he only appeared dead. And in fact, the disciples took him down and they nursed him back to health and then claimed later that he had been raised from the dead. That's what some people say. Jesus didn't really die. Now, apart from all the medical realities of the crucifixion and the precision and effectiveness with which the Romans carried, carried out crucifixion, this theory does not hold water even historically. The witnesses of the people that day were so compelling that to this day there is no doubt that Jesus of Nazareth really died on a cross. He not only predicted it, but the people witnessed it. In fact, even a renowned New Testament scholar and atheist, Bart Ehrman, has said, One of the most certain facts of history is that Jesus was crucified on orders of the Roman prefect of Judea, Pontius Pilate. Why does an atheist, non-believer, say this? Because the multitude of attestations to it in ancient history, people witnessed it. People saw Jesus die. People saw his body placed in a tomb. People uh, who who are well acquainted with death and what death looks like saw Jesus die. Jesus really died. He predicted it. People witnessed it. And uh, as we see in Matthew 28 in the first verses, the two Marys, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, came to the tomb that day after the Sabbath, prepared to find a dead body. As our text this morning has indicated to us, the women who went the day after the Sabbath went to embalm a dead body. They did not go expecting to find an empty tomb. In their haste on Friday afternoon after Jesus' death, with the Sabbath beginning, they were unable to prepare His body for burial the way that they traditionally would have done. And so, uh, and so knowing that he was dead and assuming that he wasn't going anywhere, the women went to see the tomb and to find a dead body there that they could embalm. Now in Mark's gospel, the women are even worried that they won't be able to get to the body because it was enclosed behind a large stone that had been rolled in front of the opening of the tomb. They, they were scared. We're not even be able to embalm his body because of the stone that's been rolled in front. We're not going to be able to get to him. They knew that the tomb, they also knew the tomb that they needed to return to. They weren't confused about which tomb to go to. They saw him buried on Friday. They went back to the same place on Sunday. Friends, Jesus really died. He predicted it, it was witnessed by many. The women who went to embalm his body on Sunday morning expected to find a dead body. And the fact that Jesus really died makes him a different kind of Savior. Why? Because saviors aren't supposed to die. At least Jewish saviors weren't. Most specifically, the expectation was that God's Messiah wasn't supposed to die. In the century or so before Jesus' birth, expectation for a Messiah, for a Savior, began to increase in intensity. The people of Israel, under the oppression of Roman government, began to yearn for God's redemption. The previous Greek and Roman oppression of their area of Judea had the people of Israel returning with newfound interest to the prophecies of a deliverer from their scriptures, from Isaiah and Jeremiah and so many others. And they fixated on those prophecies and those passages that pointed to a victorious king and Christ who would judge their enemies and who would crush their oppressors and who would walk Israel into a new golden age of Judaism there in Jerusalem. Instead, Jesus, the Son of God, who many claimed to be the Christ, died. He didn't judge Rome, but he was judged by a Roman governor. He didn't crush the oppressors, but was crushed and broken and killed by them. Saviors aren't supposed to die, but Jesus is a different kind of Savior. He's the kind whose death is the way to victory. As the one who who was judged and sentenced to death, he fulfills the expectation of God's servant from Isaiah 53, who, as Isaiah writes, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, whom we esteemed stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. As the one who died, who really died for sins, Jesus did not crush Rome, but he did crush the head of the serpent who stands to keep people bound in their sin. Jesus is a different kind of savior because instead of killing the enemy standing over its dead body, he dies and so defeats our greatest enemy, the sin that lies in each of our hearts. Jesus is a different kind of savior because he really died. But as Matthew 28 and the end of all the Gospels tell us, Jesus is a different kind of Savior, not just because he died, but especially because he really rose. Jesus really died and he really rose again. Now, just like his death, it's interesting, Jesus also predicted his resurrection. This was really significant in Jesus' life. In fact, every time that Jesus predicted his death, he also predicted his resurrection. Now, I think it's fair to say that it's, uh, it's as easy to, to predict that you will rise from the dead as it is to predict that you will die. I mean, I can, I can say anything. I can make any sort of claim about what will happen to me after, we die, after I die. The hard part is in actually fulfilling that prediction. It's one thing to say, I will die. Most of you would say, yep, probably so. It's another thing for me to say, I will rise again. And all of you would say, well, we'll see about that. It would appear that even these women, these two Marys who went to the tomb that morning, had forgotten Jesus' prediction that he would rise from the dead. And that is to say nothing of the men, the other disciples who were locked away out of public sight for fear of what the Jews might do to them. And When these women appear at the tomb, they find the stone that was closing the entrance to the tomb had been rolled away, and an angel sitting on the stone... I'd love to just like see that scene for a minute. Just angels just chilling on the stone waiting for the ladies to come. And he greets them saying to them, he is not here. I know who you came to see. And I'm telling you, he's not here. He has risen. Did you catch what the angel said? As he said, he has risen as he predicted. So as to say, ladies, don't you remember He told you this would happen. Jesus' prediction that he would rise from the dead is not in and of itself proof that he did rise, but it does point to his own understanding that this would be a crucial piece of what sort of savior he would be, a dying and rising one. We know that Jesus really rose. We have a preview to it in his own teaching. He predicted his resurrection. But we know that he rose also because the tomb was empty. That first Easter morning, the women went to the tomb... And they found it unoccupied. They found it vacant. They were invited by the angel to come in and take a peek for themselves and to see it empty. John in his gospel has the women returning to tell the disciples that Jesus was gone. And Peter and another disciple take off on a foot race to the tomb to see who can get there first. And they get to the tomb and they look in and they see that it's empty as well. Now the empty tomb does not, in and of itself, does not on its own... Prove that Jesus rose from the dead, but it does add another piece of evidence to the argument. We've got to figure out why that tomb is empty. Jesus really rose from the dead. He predicted it. We know that the tomb was empty. And also, we know that the women who appeared that day, or who arrived at the tomb that day, and many others, the disciples after them, and several more, believed that they saw Jesus risen from the dead. Not only did they believe that Jesus had risen, but they believed that they saw the risen Jesus with their own eyes. Now, I think we would agree that Jesus' prediction of his resurrection and the empty tomb, those two pieces of evidence are interesting, but maybe perhaps not compelling. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. You don't believe he was raised from the dead. You look at those two pieces of evidence and you say, nah, I could use a little more, and fair enough. What would really seal the deal, though, is if Jesus, who was seen placed into the tomb dead on Friday, was actually seen alive in the flesh sometime after. And not by just one or two people, but maybe by dozens or hundreds. That might be a little more convincing. Well, friends, that's exactly what Matthew tells us that these women saw. Jesus, risen from the dead, in the flesh, talking with them. As they were leaving the garden tomb, they're greeted by Jesus himself, whom they recognize and they worship. And they are encouraged to tell the disciples that he's been raised as well. In fact, Luke's gospel has Jesus appearing also to two of his followers later that day on a road to a nearby town, and then later to the 12 disciples all together, saying to them uh, in Luke chapter 24, touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And in that same instance, Jesus also says, by the way, do you have anything to eat? That's how we know he was Baptist. I'm moving on. In addition... In addition... The Apostle Paul relates that Jesus appeared alive to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom were still alive at the time of Paul's writing of his first letter to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul says Jesus died according to the scriptures. He was raised according to the scriptures. Then he appeared to Peter and James and to the rest, and then to 500 brothers at one time. So as to say, if you don't believe what I'm telling you, go ask these brothers, most Of them are still alive. Now, does someone's claim that they saw something miraculous count as proof that it happened? Not necessarily. Not with 100% certainty. But this much is true the women at the empty tomb, the disciples in the locked room, the 500 other brothers, the two disciples along the road, the many others that Jesus appeared to over the course of the next 40 days after his resurrection, these people all certainly believed that they saw, talked with, ate with, and touched the risen Jesus. And many of these would go to their death, holding to the certainty of what they saw threatened with losing their heads, losing their lives, losing everything that they held dear, they went to their death saying, I saw him raised. There's no theory of group hallucination. There's no conspiracy theory. There's no theory of a stolen body or impersonation or mere spiritual but not physical resurrection that can suffice to explain away the claims of these witnesses to Jesus. Even atheist scholar Gerd Ludemann writes, he says, It may be taken as historically certain that Peter and the disciples, and here I would include the women and others that claimed to see him as well, had experiences after Jesus' death in which Jesus appeared to them as the risen Christ. An atheist scholar and historian says, It may be taken as historically certain that these people had an experience of seeing the risen Jesus. Now, Gerd Ludemann An atheist, a non believer, is not saying that this proves the resurrection. For him, it does not. He would say there must be some other explanation. But he is saying, even as a non believer, that the disciples were certain they saw the risen Jesus. And we've got to do a lot of hard work to try to disprove that. In fact, the burden of proof is not upon the witnesses to the risen Christ, it's upon those, the burden of proof is upon those who would deny it. Jesus is a different sort of savior because he really died. He's a different sort of savior because he really rose. He predicted it. The tomb was empty. The people witnessed it. And even as we see in Matthew's gospel, chapter 28, verses 11 through 15, we see that his opponents tried to hide it. Some people tried to sweep this under the rug. Verses 11 through 15 of our text this morning describe the earliest scheme, the earliest plot to discredit the resurrection. The religious rulers who lobbied to have Jesus crucified just a couple of days before, discovering the news that the body was gone, and themselves having no explanation for what could have happened to it, they decide to bribe the guards to lie about Jesus' body being stolen. This may not seem like a big deal. Bribery happens too often to ignore, even even in our present day. But for those Roman guards to have been so derelict in their duty to guard this tomb, as to allow the body to be stolen out of it, would have nearly certainly cost them their own lives. These guards would have proved that they were terrible at their job if the body had been stolen. And they themselves probably faced risking their own death for having been derelict in this duty. This is how intent Jesus' enemies were on disproving that Jesus had been raised, that they would lie and bribe and spread rumors to discredit it. They even tell these, these two guards, they say, uh, if anybody asks you, tell his disciples, they came by night, stolen while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. They say to these guards, listen, if you tell the governor that the body was stolen because you were asleep, which by the way, you're not ever supposed to do as Roman guards, and you're in big trouble, don't worry it. Our pockets are deep. We'll pay the governor too. We'll satisfy his wrath. We will keep him from doing anything terrible against you. We, we might even take, we'll, we'll even go so far as to take care of your families. If everything, anything ever happens to you, we just, just help us spread this rumor. My friends, 2000 years of history has not come close to closing the book on the claim that Jesus really rose from the dead. The historic evidence in favor of the bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead has not been diminished in 2,000 years. If anything, its consistency over the millennia has only strengthened its claim. We can say with historic confidence that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. This, my friends, makes him a completely different kind of Savior. What kind of Savior? Specifically, Jesus' certain death and certain resurrection makes him the crucified and risen Savior who has power to save you. That's why it matters. Because Jesus, who died for sins and was raised again, has power to save you. Now, his death alone is not enough to make him this kind of Savior. Everyone dies. In fact, every supposed or self-declared Messiah in and around the time of Jesus also died. Some of them were put to death and all of their movements were abruptly put to an end upon the death of their so-called Messiah. Jesus is the only Savior to have endured death and then defeated it entirely by being raised to life, never to die again. It is this reality upon which we hang our confidence in the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord because he was really raised. He is master and commander over life and death because he put an end to the slavery of sin when he died in our place and he put death to death when he rose from the grave. He's a different kind of savior because he saves us not merely from wicked people, not just from dangerous circumstances. He saves us not only from financial peril, but because he stands to rescue us from the very rebellion of our own hearts against a holy God. That's why he's different. He's a different kind of savior because he certainly died and he certainly rose in place of the undeserving. Jesus didn't die that good Friday for people who deserved it. In fact, scripture tells us there's none who deserves it. Romans chapter three, verse 23, Paul says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Friends, there's not a one of us that deserves Jesus to die for us. And yet Paul continues in Romans 5, verses 6 and 8 saying this, that while we were still weak, while we were still undeserving, while we were still unable to do anything about the sinfulness of our own hearts, at the right time Christ died for the deserving. No, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a, a good person one would dare even to die, Paul says. But Paul, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still ungodly, while we were still dead in our sin and trespasses, that's when Christ died for us. He's a different kind of savior because he certainly died and he certainly rose to save the undeserving. So friend, how can you receive this rescue from sin, this deliverance from the evil of your own heart? How can you receive the love of God? How can you know the promise of eternal life that comes from and through this Jesus? Well, scripture gives us helpful instructions on that. The apostle Paul, continuing in Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse nine, he says, if you confess with your mouth That is, if you publicly declare Jesus is Lord, and not just say the words, but you're saying it because you believe it. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. That means when we believe that Christ was raised from the dead as the only son of God who died for sins, we are made right. With God, our creator. And with the mouth, Paul says, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. My dear friend, Jesus, risen and reigning as king of kings, calls you to come to him to be saved, to be rescued, to be redeemed. You need not clean yourself up first. His blood shed for your sins is all the spiritual detergent you'll ever need. You need not do more good deeds to make yourself worthy. His sinless life is your merit. All you need to do to be saved by the risen Savior is to turn to trust in His death and resurrection in your place. To call on Him as King of your life. To commit yourself to being changed by Him day by day, every day, the rest of your life. To be saved, all you do is turn from your selfish pursuit of life on your own terms and say to Jesus, the crucified and risen Savior, you are my king, my life is yours, save me. Now we who know him, We who know this different sort of Savior rejoice in this hope of rescue, this hope of redemption. We rejoice in the reality that our sins have been forgiven. And we invite you this morning, dear friend, to know all of that hope and joy in Christ as well. We invite you, friend, to know Jesus too. And none of us who knows the risen Jesus will ask you to do anything more than what we have done to be saved. Simply declare Jesus Lord of every nook and cranny of your whole life and depend on him. Depend on his sinless life. Depend on his sacrificial death in your place. Depend on his resurrection from the grave for your rescue. Not a one of us in this room who has been saved by Jesus has done anything to deserve it. Not a one. And so friend, if you don't know Christ yet and your life is a hot mess, understand this, not a one of us who have come to know Jesus will, will put on you any further burden to know Jesus than we had to lift. Not a one of us has ever done anything to prove ourselves worthy of salvation. And so we're not going to ask you to do that either. All we're going to ask you to do is to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus like we have. The question is, will you know this different sort of Savior today? If you haven't yet, if you're teetering on the edge of decision, will you make that decision today? Will you, will you know this different kind of Savior today? Will you let him take over your life and transform your heart? Maybe that's been the biggest barrier, the greatest hurdle to trusting Jesus as Lord, to making him Lord of your life. You don't want to be transformed. You like your life the way that it is. You'd like to be saved. You'd like relationship with God. But you also know that means giving up some of the things that you love that you know God does not. Friend, is life eternal with Christ, and abundant life today? Is that worth giving up the things you really enjoy now in order to be saved? Listen, the Lord is faithful. He will do it. The Lord is faithful. He will save you if you call to Him. You need only get yourself out of the way and let Him. Brothers and sisters, we don't have in Christ just another mythological superhero to make fun movies about. We have in him the eternal God in human form. In Jesus, we have come to see that the greatest dangers are not the dragons and the beasts that encircle us, but the ones that we have become when we indulge the sinful impulses of our hearts. Jesus, crucified for our sins and raised from the dead by the power of God, is strong to save the undeserving, is mighty to save the ungodly and he is kind and gracious and merciful to beckon to the undeserving and the ungodly, the ones broken and weighed down by their sin, come to me and I will give you rest. Friends, he is a different kind of savior. He really died for sins and he really rose for our justification. If you know him, sing praise to him. If you don't know him yet, listen to the praises of those whose lives have been changed and pray that God would give you faith to believe on him as well. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. This makes him a different kind of Savior. All glory to God. All praise to Christ. May the Holy Spirit enliven our worship as we reflect on this wonderful truth. Dear friend, if you need to know Jesus today, if you need to give your life to Christ today, come find me after our service. We'll dismiss with a benediction in just a little while. We'll have plenty of time between now and our our small group Bible studies. Come find me. Let's talk this morning about how you can know this Christ, how your life can be changed, how you can have assurance of your salvation, forgiveness of sins, and right relationship with God. Don't delay. Let today be the day of salvation for you. Let's pray together.